Well, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together, you and I are on a mission to build a business while we prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships. And if this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome. Super excited to have you here. If you're returning, I appreciate you so much for coming back week after week. And today, whether you are new or returning, you and I get to hang out with Mike Domish. You may have seen Mike quoted in Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, or maybe you've seen him featured as an expert on a Dateline NBC special. For three decades, he has been one of the most sought-after speakers in the world. His clients include the U.S. military, corporations, and some of the country's most prestigious schools. During the first 12 months of COVID, when speaking was shut down, Mike continued to stay busy on stages live virtually throughout the world, having given over 100 paid talks. You heard that right, 100 paid talks during COVID. As a speaking coach for impact-driven entrepreneurs who want to be more amazing from the stage, Mike quickly helps entrepreneurs discover their hidden gifts for catapulting their influence on stages, both virtual and on sites. Unlike many coaches who teach formulaic cookie cutter systems, Mike ensures your uniqueness shines. Entrepreneurs love how Mike amplifies and ignites their stories and their message, all while drawing from their best personal qualities. And as always, I want you to look out for three specific things in today's episode. Number one, what pregnant bunnies has to do with building an incredibly successful speaking business. <laughs> number two, how you can turn your audience into your number one sales force and get referrals to other paid speaking gigs seconds after you walk off the stage. And number three, we dive into some of Mike's hilarious stories at the end, including how Mike was catapulted off an aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf and how he became more popular than the quote unquote sexiest man alive. <laughs> so all of that to look forward to in today's episode. But before we kick things off, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Taylor Blah, who left a review on Apple Podcasts saying Brandon's research is insane. You can tell Brandon really spends time prepping for his shows. That plus the fact that he brings on such interesting people makes this show a must listen. So thank you so much for the kind words, Taylor Blah. And if you're listening and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, you can head over to rate this podcast.com slash 7fm and that's going to show you exactly how to leave a review but here's the new thing I'm going to start saying if you don't want to leave a review if you don't want to sit and think about what I'm going to say if I ended up recording your thing as a pre-show listener shout out all you have to do is tap whatever rating you feel I deserve on whatever platform you're on whether that's Spotify Apple anything else they usually have an option for you to literally just take a half a second and tap whatever star you think I'm deserving of it'll help me a ton you don't even have to think about leaving a review so if you want to find out how to do that, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. And the very last thing I will say is whether you are a seasoned speaker, you've never set foot on stage or you're somewhere between those two points, I guarantee you're going to get some massive value from today. Mike coaches already people that speak to help and create more impact. And we, he drops lots of knowledge about how he got started in the very beginning. So no matter where you fall in the spectrum, this will be super valuable for you. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, Mike Damish. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? 
You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Mr. Mike Domish, super excited to have you here. This is going to be a blast. I am pumped to be here, Brandon. So excited to have this discussion with you. Always, always good to talk with you. Yes, of course. And I, I love to, I would love to start by dropping everyone into the middle of a scene. So uh, we have so much content that we're going to dive into, but we're going to start right here. So right now you're sitting in an audience. I'm assuming you're at UW Whitewater, which is both of our alma maters. It's 1990. You were a swimmer in college and you're mandated, you're mandated to go to this speak and you're, uh, this uh, speaker and you're supposed to listen to them speak. You're amongst all your classmates. What happens next? So the speaker is talking about sexual assault, consent, and rape. Now, keep in mind, this is in a time when that was not being discussed in college campuses. So we're all sitting there, as you described, as athletes. And as he's talking, I'm hearing my teammates, who are also my close friends, your teammates in college, you're like brothers and sisters. And I hear some of them saying, I don't know anybody this has ever happened to. And as they're saying this, I know that they know my sister. And my sister at that time is a survivor and still is a survivor of sexual assault. So I'm sitting there going, wait a second, they do know someone. They just don't realize they know someone. And in that moment, I would recognize how much naivety at the time there was. Uh, There was a complete lack of knowledge of how often this was happening, sexual assault, sexual violence. And then I heard the speaker and I thought, wait a second, I could do something about this. This person, I could speak out about this. And I went to the speaker afterwards and said, hey, I, w- I want to talk about this. And he's like, well, if you really do, I live in Madison. Now I got lucky there because that's only an hour away. And I went to a friend and said, can I borrow your car? I didn't have a car. Can I borrow your car? I need to get to Madison to meet with this person. And I showed up and he's like, nobody shows up. Nobody ever shows up when, when, when they say that after a program to which I can attest is very true now that I'm a speaker for 30 years. But so I just took in everything he had and wrote my own speech after spending a day with him. And it, and that's when I began my career speaking. That's incredible. And I love the initiative and I love the confirmation that not everybody follows up on what they say they're going to do. It's so funny because I see this as a common topic for people that have reached out to mentors. Lots of the mentors are like, yeah, you're the only person that's ever sent this message or actually reached out to me or followed up on it. And so that's a lesson right there, right out of the gate for anyone listening. The people that you can learn the most from, if you show the initiative, if you drive an hour, if you borrow a car, if you get resourceful and show up, you can absolutely leverage the uh, the willingness for people to want to support the next generation, the people that are coming up um, as a way to you know learn more and ex- expand where you potentially can go in a career in a much shorter time frame. So I love that. We can get more into your content. And I love your content so much because well, it let's, absolutely- Let's drive that. I want to drive that oh, yeah. hair more it. because not only that, but what a lot of people do is they'll make one attempt at reaching out. Mm. And the moment you're not available or the moment that what you're sharing isn't exactly what they think they need, they drop out. This is a common maneuver you see when people ask you to mentor. I see it all the time. And what they come in is they come in thinking, I need this. When your mentor knows better what you need, probably they've been down your road before. So if they're sitting there going, hold on, you might want to think about this. You might want to think about it. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people think is I need a mentor for this, not realizing I need a mentor for what I don't know Mm -hmm. and, and be open to that when you reach out. 
Yeah. I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's coming to my mind. So I'm going to attempt at it, but it's like, there's some quote, I can't attribute it, but it's about basically, it's not what you know. It's also what you know, that ain't so, you know, so the things that you believe to be true, but if you have somebody that can have that outside perspective and say, Hey, no, you need to check this and make sure that you're pursuing on it. Those are the biggest mistakes that I've had over, you know, over, I've been able to skip past many mistakes because I've had people that have pointed out to me things that I thought I knew that I, that I really should know. (laughs) So Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep going down this route. So like you up until this point, from, from what I understand is like, you didn't really intend to ever being a public speaker. And then this kind of was like a, a moment that sparked 30 years of you changing the lives of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people at this time. I don't even know how many people you've impacted by the ripple effect that you've created of the, the content that you teach. So we're, you know, we're, we can dive deeper into your story and the content that you create, but also for the speaking component of things. So I want to go back to those earlier days. So you, you, you drive up to that, that mentor's house, he dumps all this knowledge on you. And we have people that are listening from all ends of the spectrum right now. So we have people that might be, have never been paid for a public speaking gig. We have people that might've been paid for a few of them. And we might have people that have do this all the time. And I know that I've over 30 years of experience, you have something to add value to all these people. But I think where we started in this story lends us to that beginning. Like, so for people that are just starting out, mm-hmm. what are those insights that we can provide them? So let's take us back. You know, you just got these, these moments or these insights from a mentor if somebody's listening and they just want to get started in their public speaking career, what advice would you provide them for somebody that wants to just kind of get their foot in the door and start landing some of those gigs? Yeah. And this mentor's advice was what topics to talk about was not about getting speaking events or getting speaking gigs. So what I did is I just thought, well, why don't I just go talk to the people I know who have classes? And I went to my local high school I graduated from with teachers that I had a really good relationships from and said, could I just do this in your class just to see how it goes. And I did that with a few professors I knew at the university. Both from both directions were telling me, why aren't you, like, why isn't this your mission? Why isn't this your path? That's when it all changed. When I realized, wait, I've got something here. And then, and then I just took initiative at the time. There was no internet, right? At this time, there was no internet. There was, there was no email. So I created a pamphlet, a simple little eight and a half by 11 that you trifold. And I was in business school at the time. So I would use all my courses to try to apply to building this business. So I was in a marketing course. I was thinking, all right, how do I apply that to my speaking? And I created this pamphlet. It was looking back. It was an awful title, Brandon. It was, it was an acronym of S-A-Y, right now, which is Sexual Assault and You. That is just a horrible acronym. But I thought it was creative because I'm talking about you need to talk, you need to ask, it's say. Well, I would just send these out to all these schools, you know, stamps and mail them out. And that's where it began. And then I'd get in the foot of the door and then they'd be like, wow, this nobody else is doing it this way. And I'd listen to what they were telling me and how to get to other schools or people they knew at other schools and really work from there. Got it. Okay. So there's so much we can dissect. I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead and I'm just going to take a a little bit of a guess here, but this is going to seem like a non sequitur, but I'm just going to go here. So tell me a little bit about what pregnant bunnies have to do with building a speaking business. Actually, it's not far off at all. What I was okay, good. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's the good news. So when I, uh, now we're going to jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead a decade. And the reason why is what I didn't tell you is I looked 16 when I was 24. And I wish I could tell you that's an exaggeration, but it was not. So what happened was I couldn't get into schools because they'd say, you don't have a doctorate and we don't even let people with a doctorate in on this topic right now. We're not talking about this topic in our schools. So I had to do other stuff and I did the speaking here or there for quite a while. And 10 years later, came back to it, went to a National Speaker Association event. 
And I saw this speaker that was rocking it in middle schools and high schools. And I said, I'm going to call you. He said, fine, but you don't call me before five o'clock. You don't call me during my business hours and take away my business time. I'm like, fine. So I call him and we have this incredible conversation. He's teaching me what to do. And he says the following, he said, like, look, Mike, here's the deal. Most people out there are chasing the bunnies. The fast bunnies are the clients they want to get. And they're out there chasing them. Right? But I want you to think that you go into the pet store and you're going to get a bunny. And there's all these young little bunnies running around. And you can pick one of them. Or there's a pregnant one with 10 inside it. Why would you chase the little ones around when you can just pick up the pregnant one? And it'll give you 10. And what most people do in business is they're chasing this singular lead instead of pursuing where are the locations where everybody's already there, all the babies inside the pregnant one. What are the conferences, the trade events, the networking events where the people who care deeply about what you have to offer this world are already present? Go speak there. Go rock that event's world so they can see what you can do for them because they're going to do whatever it takes to get you in. Even if they don't have the budget, they will raise the money because they care that much about the topic instead of chasing somebody who doesn't really want to necessarily. So I love that analogy of pregnant bunnies. You know, first of all, I have a bunny. Her name is Toffee. And like, and I don't even know if I'd, I don't know if I'd want to get a pregnant bunny with 10 bunnies because sometimes with one bunny, it's enough, but it's a good problem to have, <laughs> right? If, if, if you have too much that you can handle, then you can always uh, kind of figure what you need to do to actually get your ducks in a row to make sure you fulfill on all that. So from a practical perspective, let's say that, okay, somebody hears that they're like, okay, I want to get into public speaking. Let me find the pregnant bunnies. Let me go to some of these conferences, trade shows and identify some of those people. So like, let's say I find a trade show to speak at. I'm a new speaker. What is the first thing that you're maybe not a trade show, but a conference? Are you looking at getting into the event organizer and saying, Hey, I want to host a breakout session. I'm not charging for it. Or how do you, what is the first step that someone can take if they want to kind of find these pregnant bunny situations and, and leverage that to kind of get into the speaking industry? Well, it's going to really depend on what credibility they already possess, right? So if you bring great credibility, you sort of maybe have a niche or celebrity status in some industries uh, and you approach them, they may want you right away to keynote because you bring so much cachet to what you're already doing. But that's not most people trying to get into speaking. Typically, the person's never heard of you and they don't know what you do. And so then you typically are going to open with a key with a breakout. That is the move. You are correct. Now, here's the thing, though. You offer a keynote. And then you say, if the keynote is not a good fit, I could always provide you a breakout. That way you're opening all doors to possibilities here because I want to be on the stage in front of everybody if I can be in front of everybody. But if you can't get me there and I'm getting started, I'm, I'm going to take a breakout. Now, don't get me wrong. At this point in my career, I'm doing breakouts that are paid for, not doing breakouts that are complimentary. But when you're getting started, you're just trying to get the word out about you. And I, what I did is I did so many of those conferences and then I would track which one brought me how many events. And if it didn't bring me a certain number of events, I didn't return to that conference. If it did, I was there every year. So I would be very much tracking the measurables on which one worked. But yeah, that's all you do. And here's the key. You want to make sure that you're serving the conference, not selling the conference. Brandon, this is such a massive mistake that people, experts and entrepreneurs who want to speak, make this all the time. They go in there going, I'm going to give your people blah, 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 blah. And you can tell they're selling. Like you're going to walk in the room and sell them your product. No way we want you anywhere near our attendees. So you want to make sure that they don't feel like anything you're doing for that room is intended to sell their audience. It is intended to perfectly serve. 
You want to say things like, I know in your industry, one of the biggest problems is this. I'm going to give them the three keys, the seven keys to overcoming that. And so that you are purely serving. Yeah. Love that. And I'm just going to drop something for you listening. I know we're kind of just getting warmed up here, but Mike, one of the first introductions I ever got to Mike was how he generates referrals from his existing audiences. So I'm going to stick around for that because that's good. We're going to dive into that later. If you want to, if you land one gig, how do you turn that into, I think at your point, hundreds of gigs from one gig, if you're getting referrals. So that's coming up. But before we get into some of that other stuff, I want to address kind of the elephant in the room. And I want to ask this question in a way that's evergreen. So I know it's a little bit difficult sometimes with a particular situation, but as of the time of this recording, it's January, 2022. The past few years have been pretty crazy with COVID and it's completely shifted the way that people have delivered public speaking and the way that the entire industry has been. So I'm going to ask a question related to that, but I just want to say for future listen for future listeners, if you're listening to this not close to the release date, this is still 100% relevant because I want you to listen to how Mike handled this situation for anything that might come up in the future, whether it's another crazy COVID situation or a downturn in the economy, this is 100% relevant. So with that set up, Mike, I would love for you to share, despite what many people may think, why COVID was actually a good thing for the speaking industry and how you were able to adapt when this whole thing came around um, and turn it into a massive asset for you and what you've done in your career. Yeah, what's horrible is that it was COVID that caused us to make these shifts because the shifts that occurred are wonderful shifts. It's just sad it was COVID that did it. So here's why the world changed because of COVID in the speaking world. Uh, And you're aware, I was solid busy from the beginning of COVID all the way into 12 months, into 15 months into COVID. I was speaking with paid client events, paid client trainings, not where a lot of people go, I was speaking all through COVID, but they were doing free webinars, which is great, which is wonderful, but that's different than clients seeking you and wanting you during that time. And here's what allowed that to happen, Brandon. At the time, I was not a big Zoom user. I was not a webinar person. I was a very high energy, in-room, on-site person. And my clients said that, like, you're somebody we have to have in person. And so I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble because people were coming to me and going, your style isn't going to work virtually. What are you going to do? And I had to sit back and go, oh, my gosh, what if I lose everything? I I had all those questions go through my mind for a few weeks. And then I saw, wait, somebody I know in my space is doing a webinar. And I attended their webinar. And I genuinely thought, that's it. And it wasn't a knock on them. It was just how simple it was. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're just showing a few slides. They're talking, showing a few slides. And I'm like, well, I I don't want that. I want something a little different because that's not my style. And so I offered a webinar and this is the key to the whole thing. I offered a webinar in two weeks from that date. So I only had two weeks to plan it. But what I did is I did not do one of my programs. I looked at what's a problem that those I work with have that I'm really good at addressing and I'm going to do the webinar on that specific problem. And that's what I'm going to do it on. And so what I did was I had never drawn people to one of my events, Brandon. I was always hired to speak where people have an audience and I show up. So I was very worried about, was anybody going to show up at this webinar? I was thinking maybe I can get a hundred. A hundred would be awesome. My first webinar ever. And as the event's getting closer, we hit 50. I'm going, oh, I hope we get that. We get to 100 and then 200 and then 300. Now, as you may remember, Zoom Max is at five in most, uh, 500 in most settings. And we hit 500. The key was the following. I didn't just send out to my email list. That would not have done it. Wouldn't even come close. I reached out to the decision makers 
in the industries that I work in individually and said, this is what I'm offering. If you want to tell all your people, and I knew these people already appreciated my work, had hired me to do work for their people. So they then spread the word regionally and internationally amongst their world. Here's what Damish is doing. It's free. This is a one-time deal. And so 400 attended out of 500 registrations on Zoom, which we know back then was unheard of to get an 80% turnout at the time. And all I did was be me, have that energy, say things the way I normally say it, challenge the, the status quo. And at the end, people were like, this is the best thing I've ever attended live virtually. And at the time, I didn't, it wasn't even using e-cam or doing any of that. So just like, this is the best thing. So suddenly people were contacting me going, can you do that for us? Can you do that for us? Can you do that for us? Because we were solving a problem that had not been solved that way before. It goes back to what I said earlier. You've got, if you're going to go after conferences, anybody, you've got to be solving problems for the people in the room. And I didn't sell an ounce, not an ounce during that whole webinar. And we just let them know how they can get a hold of me at the end. That's the only thing that I did. That would lead to me doing live virtual programming for the military all over the world over the next 12 months. It would even lead to a virtual reality company who's doing a huge production project with the U.S. Air Force so that they can put virtual reality headsets on and then a 3D real human being talks to them. And to give you an idea how real this is, they've already done it for mental health, Tony Dungy's inside the headset, and he's the one helping, right? Super Bowl winning coach. They asked me to be the sexual assault person inside the headset. It's incredible. All of that started with that webinar. So it's listening to what is my, what do people need right now? What do they need help with? And now what do I need to sell them? What do they need to help with? How do I help solve that problem for them? And then make it widely available by getting as quickly as far as you can to reach to fill that space. It's so incredible. I want to pull out a few brilliant nuggets of wisdom that Mike just dropped there. First of all, most people want to talk about like the quick hack, right? Like you're just, you could talk about the tactic of the webinar and launching a webinar, get 500 people, but really I'm I'm going to, I'm going to strip this down to what this really is. This was Mike serving people for his, for three decades, you know, like it was him showing up, delivering results for his audiences, building those relationships, creating incredible customer experiences for the audiences. And you hear it all the time, but it's so true to like dig your well before you're thirsty. Mike was leveraging his relationships that he built over all those years, or he wouldn't have gotten those results. So like, you know, maybe COVID's going to, another version of COVID will happen 50 years from now. You never know, but whatever you're doing right now is actually setting yourself up for the future. So I wanted to pull that out. The second thing I'll, I know you re already, already rehashed it, but it's just so worth highlighting is solving a problem instead of trying to jam whatever you existing thing that you already had in their throats. You just showed up in a way that was like, this is what people need right now. I'm going to contribute to this conversation and just serve. And that's actually what came as a result of it is that people wanted to pay you back. And then the last thing I'll say that you kind of touched upon when you're talking about virtual reality, and this is the thing that I'm really excited about to see in the next few years, just with the speaking industry, but it's like, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but before when you were doing speaking gigs, they wouldn't even consider doing a live virtual program. But now it's actually becoming the norm because of the situation that you'd be bringing in. So maybe just talk a little bit about, about that and what the opportunities that has opened up for you as you've delivered oh, you know, more, inc- more stuff to It's incredible the opportunities that has opened up. Uh, it's been amazing. I want to back up a little bit because I forgot to say something critically important. And that is, and you know, I'm all about surveys. So when people 
registered for the webinar, they had to answer a couple of questions. They had to answer them. And the questions were, and I knew, already knew the topic I was going to talk about. So what are your biggest struggles around blank, 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 what the topic was? What do you wish Mike would address around this topic? And then they open-ended it. So all I did was take 400 responses, look which ones showed up the most and answer the questions for an hour. That yeah. was the webinar. You don't have to be, people go, oh, I'm not so creative. That's not creative. That's just looking, that's literally listening. But most people do this. They go, I'm going to write a program and then present it for the 400 versus let the 400 tell me what they need and just provide. So that's a big one I wanted to make sure we brought up is let them give you what they need. Like that's so important for people to realize it makes your life a lot easier and you're way more tailored to the audience. That's super important. All right, going yeah. to what you just said though, this is so important and I can prove it. So two months before, uh, everything happened with COVID, maybe three. We had a client talking to us about maybe doing an event that we couldn't make it to. And we and they somehow brought up live virtual. We said, sure, we'll make that work. And they're like, well, that's just not going to work. And nobody ever asked for live virtual before any of this happened, ever. Now, here's the shift. That summer, we're doing only live virtual. And not only am I doing live virtual to a military installation in, in Idaho or Utah, I'm doing one to Korea where people are actually coming from all over the world, officers at all different ranks. So not only are you doing virtual, you are reaching a worldwide audience you would have never have reached at a live on-site event. Not even, and you're seeing this with Tony Robbins and others, their numbers are 100 times what they would have at a live on-site event because of the virtual space has no limitations. I mean, it's, it costs more to have no limitations, but it does have that possibility. So that's one way that there's been a massive shift in the number of people that can attend that event. But here's the other massive difference. Now I can be in two cities within two hours of each other <laughs> on opposite sides of the world, and we've had it happen. So I'll give you a great example, Brandon. I do a lot of work with universities and with the U.S. military. So I'm at universities this fall, and they're going, Mike, can we have August 25th? And I say, well, I can't be on site with you August 25th because I'm already booked August 25th in Philadelphia. Uh, but if you want a live virtual, I'm done live on site at that campus at 5 p.m. We could do a live virtual at 7. And so then we reach back to the campus. I'm live on site saying, uh, hey, if you, could you give me a space where I could just like an empty theater, an empty auditorium where I could do a live show from? They're like, sure, you're already there. We'll find that for you. So I get done live on site with a huge audience, two stage shows, walk 100 yards to a different building, walk in to perform for another university live virtual. Could have never have done that ever before this all happened. That's incredible. Okay, my brain wants to go to a million places, but I have to settle this <laughs> in my brain because like this, like this is just the way it works. <laughs> um, you just brought up a really incredible point when it comes to doing live virtual. Now, what I can what I can think from the perspective of a host, so like okay, having somebody in person is more valuable than having them virtual online. Since you've you've done this, how have you managed your pricing structure and adapted it to it? Do you just say, do you make sure that it's the same fee moving forward, or how do you how have you handled that when somebody's like, ah, oh, it's it's not as much, it's not worth it if you're not interacting with people if you would when you were live. All right, there's two parts to that. One, I can prove the effectiveness of the virtual compared to the on-site. So that's one we're gonna we'll need to talk about. And then two is uh, is the second half of what you were just talking about. 
in the the oh now I'm spacing out. What so what was the what was the second part you asked there? So that that's the one proving whether and the pricing really good. Like, oh, like, the pricing. like the there pricing. We go. So yeah. I'll start with the pricing. So I did something with my clients is when I would meet with them about doing a live virtual, I would meet with them on Zoom so they could see my visuals. And I use Ecamm. I do not Ecamm, if anybody's not aware of what it is, Ecamm Live Pro is a video production software for broadcasting streaming that is sensational. And you can learn it with Google and they have a Facebook group that is phenomenal. And there's big names and they're learning it. So I quickly dove in and learned that. So I'd bring people in and go, here, let me show you what we're going to do. And I, they'd see my screen changing and they'd see these things you could never do on Zoom if you're sharing slides. You could never do it. And they're like, oh my gosh, we've never seen a speaker doing any of this. And I go, well, as you can see, this is way more work than if I was live on site on stage, which it is. There's, I'm being totally transparent. It is. And they see it. They're like, well, yeah, it is. But so I'm not going to charge you more for live virtual, even though it's more work. Mm, right? So okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll honor, I'll honor the price. The if I do anything, uh, and this is what we do now. If we do anything, we'll remove the travel because I'm going to put as much work, if not more, into a live virtual because of all the visuals and all the technology and everything going on. Then versus when I just walk on a stage and plug in a computer and talk. So, and clients get it. They totally get it. Now, here's the key for that to make sense. I have to be equally effective. Mm -hmm. Live virtual versus live on site. So this is the second half of what we just talked about. So you know that I survey my audiences and I won't go too much into that right now because I know you want to wait because that there's something in that survey that's important to talk about later. But we've been surveying our audiences for years. So I had post-event survey responses from live on site for years. And then suddenly... I had 15 months of live virtual post-event surveys. And the numbers were equally, almost exactly the same. Mm. So now when somebody would go, well, how do we know this is effective? Well, let me just send you the post-event survey responses of our events, live virtual and live on-site, and you can compare the notes. And people are like, oh my gosh, this is incredible data. So mm -hmm. it helped prove it. Right. And that's what that was a game changer that I could prove the effectiveness of our work live virtually or live on site. That was essential to this moving forward. Yeah. OK, so good. Go back and re-listen to how Mike specifically phrased that client conversation. I'm not going to attempt to recreate it, but hit that skip button 15 seconds a few times and just listen to how it came out of his mouth, because there's lots of lessons in that and just client discussions to begin with, but like the way that he phrased it was very masterfully done. So that was really good. Okay. So I, I want to recap kind of where we, we talked about bunnies and, and making sure that you're getting the pregnant bunnies, which leads to breakouts. We talked about the live opportunities, how incredible things have been actually as a result of COVID and the opportunity. Well, I can't, can't, don't take that out of context. <laughs> you know, the, the benefits that have, that have happened as a result of shifting to a virtual, we talked about serving people over the years. So let's kind of start walking back to more concrete things that kind of apply to all different levels of, of speakers that might be listening to this. And one of the things that you talk about in this incredible paid speaker accelerator that I, I've attended that you've helped put together, that you put together, it's incredible. You talk about helping people to identify three specific skill sets that you can teach audiences that they can immediately implement. And I think this is such a relevant training, not only in what you do to help people get more specific on it, but also how they can then take those three bullet points and actually leverage that to get more speaking gigs. So we'd love for you to tell about the importance of it, walk us through the exercise so that everybody listening can do that. Yeah. So here's a just quick exercise to understand. If I was a meeting event planner and you said that you want to speak at my event, 
I should ask you, what are my audience members going to do differently after they hear you than they would have done before they hear you? Now, most meeting event planners never ask that question. So you don't get the opportunity to say it unless you know how to have these conversations. Most people say, tell me what's different about you. Tell me what you're going to do for my audience. They might say that. And most people do this. I'm going to raise their awareness on this. I'm going to have them feeling better about this. I'm going to have it. And it's all like awareness, energy, feelings. That is almost impossible to quantitatively and follow and see what that did for them afterwards. So we want to make sure that we're actually giving audiences skill sets because that's something that they can implement in their lives immediately can also be measured so people can see if these are actually being applied to people's lives. So imagine the difference of, hey, Brandon, what can you do for an audience? And you say, well, you know, I'm going to really make them aware of some of the language they use. I'm going to make them aware that that's not healthy. Okay. All right. Hey, Mike, what do you do? Well, when they leave the room, they're going to immediately going to want to ask before they ever attempt to touch someone sexually. They're going to look forward to trying to ask. They're not just going to know it's the right thing to do. They're going to look forward to trying because they're that pumped up about it. They're going to, number two, intervene the next time they're at a party or a bar and somebody's trying to feed someone alcohol or drugs to get laid or to do something sexual with them. They're going to, they're going to intervene and be like, that's my moment. I'm intervening now. And then third, they're going to go back right now today and within the next few hours, reach out to loved ones, let them know they're here for them. They're going to know the exact words to do that. That's what we're going to do in just one hour. Now, compare that with somebody who says they're going to be really aware, raise their awareness around sexual violence and consent. Which one would you rather have? Of course, you're going to want the one who's going to behaviorally have changes occur in the room. So that's what the three skills allows. It allows me to align with what behaviors are shifting because of what you brought our audience. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, dig in just a little bit here because I can picture somebody listening right now. They're like, that sounds super good. And then, and then you're going to go and you're going to write your bullet points <laughs> and it may not sound as, as, as incredible as Mike's just said. So talk about the importance of specificity in those bullet points and like what, when someone coaches with you and they may bring like a, like a more of a vague bullet point, how you help them or what you would coach them to do to make sure that it's something that actually sticks out. Yeah. So in the work, the three hour workshop you're referring to the paid speaker accelerator workshop, but we also have one called peak impact. Uh, in any of the programs where I'm doing coaching, most people make the mistake of being really broad, as you just mentioned, Brandon, very broad. So Brandon, if I were to say to you, you know, you sort of, you know yours, but let's just say somebody was talking about what you did and they weren't specific. What would be an example, Brandon, of a broad explanation of what you do? I, I can help people get more connections. Okay. So I'm going to immediately go, so... Um, so that, so that they can open the doors to more opportunities in their life. So, (laughs) so that they can, uh, either they can, they can reduce the amount of time that they would spend to acquire a client if they were kind of going all over the place, uh, so that they can increase the predictability inside of their business so that they never have to worry again about what they would say when they reach out to someone. And so they can get more referrals from the people that they actually bring into their world. So so let me get this straight, Brendan. You're going to give them the exact words to use that precisely and efficiently bring them more clients and more effectively help those clients become more profitable. 
Yes, I would just add it because there's I mean, there's a level of specificity there because I wouldn't want to just hand someone the scripts because that doesn't actually do it for them. But not only hand them the scripts, but also empower them to make it their own. And they, so no, they can no, I get that. I get that. We're not worried yeah. about that, though. What yep. we're worried about is what they're going to do differently. Are they going to gain more clients? How quickly are they going to gain their clients? However, they uh, the you know as soon as they implement it, the amount of follow up that it would take as a result of following up on those opportunities. How much time? If I follow your plan, Brandon, how long before I could have results? A week. Okay, so in one week, I could gain what? You could gain a relationship that you didn't have previously. That could either be a high ticket client or a potential strategic partner. So we're going to show in one week potentially how to gain a major strategic partner in your business. Yes. Right. Is, is that a big difference from what you said early on when you went Absolutely. broad, which I asked you to go broad, right? But look <laughs> yep. at the difference. In one week, we're going to show you how in one week you can gain a massive strategic partner in your business, potentially. I'm going to give you the exact words. I'm going to give you the exact steps. This is not going to be complicated. You just got to follow the steps. Yeah. Love that. So well, that's an example. Now what I'm doing, so now let's reverse engineer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So the, what you were doing was telling me the good feel answers to every question. Mm-hmm. And there, there was no specificity in there. There was no timeline. So notice no timeline. That's a major red flag for everybody listening. If there's no timeline, right? If you asked me, Mike, when is somebody going to ask for a kiss next? Uh, someone's going to do it in the next couple hours after my audience. Next couple of hours. Mm-hmm. When is somebody going to intervene at a party? By this weekend. When is somebody going to reach out to a loved one within the next 15 minutes of my program ending? Someone Mm. will. So look at that specificity, right? That's massively important. So I need to know timeline because otherwise I'm thinking that all sounds good in theory. And that, by the way, is a cliche of speakers who don't know how to get people to take action. People walk out and go, that sounds great in theory. So it's a great idea you sold us, but nobody's going to implement that. That is a common problem that speakers make all the time. So when I'm coaching somebody, we're going to make sure we're going to drive them the farthest away from that. We don't ever want an audience walking out going, that sounds good in theory. We want them going, I can't wait to try that. When you give me specificity, there's no reason for me not to try it. Now, here's the key, Brandon. You've got to knock down my barriers first. Mm -hmm. So if I'm listening to that, I have to know the barriers that the audience is going to have that's going to stop them from taking those actions. And I have to address them before I teach them the skills. Because here's what will happen. If I, let's say in my example, let's say that I say, hey, you're going to ask before you kiss someone. And let me teach you how to ask. And I start to teach them. In their head, they're doing, why would I do that? That's going to ruin the moment. Why would I do that? That's going to be awkward. Why would I do that? I could be rejected. And they're not listening to anything I'm saying. Because I did not break down the barriers. Mm-hmm. So I have to first go, hey, why don't we ask? And people go, fear of rejection. And then I knock down how foolish that is. And then well, fear of being awkward. And then I knock down how foolish that is. So by the end, the room is in their mind. They don't need to say it out loud. In their mind, they're thinking, yeah, why am I not asking? Like all these excuses I had are ridiculous. Why am I not asking? Well, how do I do it then? And then I'm teaching them how to do it because mm-hmm. they are asking for it. Even if it's not out loud, they're up here. They're asking for that because they know it's the right thing to do in their lives. So this is true of any topic. You want to get your audience to where they're in their mind going, well, how silly these excuses I've made in the past are. Now, how do I do it now the right way? So that Mm -hmm. you can, now they're ready to absorb what you're going to give them. Yeah. And just 
want to highlight this as well. Like when you say that, I know you do this for an audience when you're in front of a huge audience, but your audience could also be the one person in front of you that you're looking to close the speaking gig, you know? So it's like, this applies everywhere. It's like addressing the concerns that the, the buyer has or the audience has at the same time, which actually I think is a perfect segue into a topic that I wanted to get into. And you actually just alluded to some of this, but you have something that you call your Mike's ultimate impact system. Um, and so I would, I would love for you to maybe walk through some of these steps and maybe provide us an example of how you do this on stage. Cause I know this will absolutely be a game changer for anybody that is on stage presenting their ideas. So when we're going to, one of the biggest things we have to help people understand when they even hear that phrase is the, the impact system is why are you on stage? And Brandon, you and I both know that a lot of people out there are on stage to sell. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is, well, then that's your focus. Whatever you tell me you're on stage to do is what your subconscious mind, your heart, your soul will be driven to focus on. Even if it's incongruent, it will be trying to do it. And so what you have to ask yourself is, well, am I trying to impact or sell? And people go, well, I'm trying to do both. Which matters more to you? Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes to work with me, when I'm coaching a high-level entrepreneur, it's almost always someone, it always is, in fact, or I wouldn't take them, who wants to make a bigger impact in this world. Now, they might end up selling something at the end, but they're going to sell so well because of the impact they had and that the solution they have is legit, it's ethical, and it's the right thing for the audience, not because it was just there to sell the audience for an hour. And that's a massive difference in what your focus is. So before we even get into that, I think it's really important for people to realize is, what is the impact you want on stage? If you tell me it's to sell so many units, your audience isn't the factor that you are focused on. Your sales strategy is. That's a massive difference. I'm always walking on stage with impact. So how do I best serve my audience right now? That's the key to everything you and I are about to discuss. All right, Mm -hmm. so now, if I'm going to impact, I have to immediately recognize this is not about me. Because if it's about me, then that's not about impact. That's about ego. That's about getting a standing ovation. I'm about impact. And hopefully everybody out there is about impact. So it's not about me. So how do I make this talk about the audience within 30 seconds to a minute? So when I walk out, where most people might tell this story about their life, I'm immediately asking the audience a question. And that question that is so simple and so easy that they want to yell the answer out. Like, it's just that easy. I don't want something controversial because then they're going to get a little afraid, feared, and they're, going to, they're actually going to pull back. So I want something super simple to ask them and just say yes or no and get the whole room together. You don't want a controversial question. You want them to come together. So they all yell, yes. All right, let's talk about that now. Boom. We're in their world. It's not about Mike Domish. It's not me trying to act like I know your world. It's you telling me about your world. And I'm just asking some questions to help us along this path. So it's always audience focused. That is critical. The technique that I use is called call response. This is what I teach those who work with me, as you're aware. Call response is a massive piece of this, which is how you learn to have a conversation with a massive audience or a small audience the exact same way. So there are people go, oh, how many do you like in your audience? I'm not worried about that. If there's 5,000, we're going to rock it. If there's 100, we're going to rock it. Because this strategy of call response, which is where I call out a question, you respond, and that drives where we go. Now, here's the catch, Brendan. In a podcast like this, you and I, you know, because you've seen it, there's no way to teach that in a podcast. I'll just be perfectly blunt. I don't want to mislead anybody because it sounds simple until you try it. (laughs) And then you realize, well, they're not responding because the the little tiny details, the finesse of the question 
is everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and the energy of how you wait for the response. There's so much in the formula there that's so important, but these are keys. You notice what we're not doing? Walk on stage, tell a story, and then follow this. It's not all about that. Stories can be great, but if you're only a storyteller, then it's about you entertaining instead of impacting once again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. And I think, I mean, just maybe at a high level for the call response thing, um, from what I've observed from like you you speaking and stuff like that, it's like you're, you've done the work ahead of time. And this is something that, that you do so well is because you know your audience, you know all the potential responses that people can have. So you may provide multiple opportunities for them to go in a direction. It's like, do you want this answer or this answer? It's not just like, what do you think? It's like you're providing them with ways that they can steer the conversation. Um, yes. And that actually allows you to go it. So like, it is definitely an advanced ninja level strategy, but I just wanted <laughs> at least people to take a peek at some of the options that are available if you're creating impact in the way that might Yeah, let, let me show you one that I do from stage. I'll give you yeah, one sure. just so everybody understands listening. I have a room full of people. I've got somebody on stage right away within 30 seconds. That's part of my impact system. Uh, I've got somebody on stage. I say, hey, Jordan, do most people ask or go for it when it comes time to kiss someone? Jordan says, well, I think most people go for it. All right, audience, what do you think? Do most people ask or go for it? Go ahead, yell, ask, go for it. And I put my hands out like they're spreading mm -hmm. to the audience. The room yells, go for it. And so I go, Jordan, you clearly know what you're talking about. Hey, that's how today's going to work. Every time I go like this, I put my hands out. You all just yell out the answer. We're here to have a conversation. That sets the tone right off the bat that we are having a conversation today. This is not a lecturer. And that's just one example. But here's the key to that beauty, Brandon. The whole audience says, yes, people go for it. Well, later on when I say, hey, should people have a choice before somebody does something with their body? And the whole audience yells, yes. Well, then why did you tell me earlier everybody's going for it? Mm. without giving someone a choice. So now their own words get to come back and help them recognize, whoa, what have I been doing? And it's their awakening versus had I not done any of this technique and I walked on stage and I said, hey, we know most people are going for it instead of asking, a chunk of the room would have said, how dare you try to tell me what I'm doing or not doing sexually? You don't know me because I would have been projecting. I would have been telling them instead of letting them show me what their world is. That's mm -hmm. a critical difference. Yeah, love that. And I will just say to anyone listening, if you want to dive into Mike's stuff and attend some of his workshops that he's talking about where he teaches this more in depth, you can go to mikespeaks.com and that'll be in the show notes. Um, so you can make sure to find out or attend one of these live trainings where he goes super in depth. But I'm gonna, I want to go into something that I know we talked about in the beginning, we've been alluded to, we've been teasing to. So this is something that is super impactful, no matter what spectrum of the speaking career you're on, whether you're just getting started, whether you have a few under your belt, or you're a master. I know you've taught this to, to <laughs> master speakers. They're like, whoa, how have I not been using this? And this is just so people have some contact. This is actually the first time I met Mike uh, is when I was in Genius Network. Mike was Mike gave a what they call a 10 minute talk where you're supposed to deliver $250,000 of value within 10 minutes. And I actually hadn't met Mike until he stepped up on the stage and I heard this and this just blew my mind on, on how he's able to create basically referrals on demand from every single paid speaking event that he has. So you can take one and turn, you could turn one pregnant bunny into multiple pregnant bunnies. <laughs> At that point, we're multiplying beyond multiplication, you know, it's exponential. So I uh, would love for you to share a little bit about this, Mike, because this is a huge insight that I think is super valuable for everyone. Yeah. And it's something that allows me to prove everything we talked about earlier. So, all right. So what is it? It's a post-event survey. That's not truly post-event. It's five minutes to 10 minutes left in the event. So it is at the end of your speech. It's the end of your talk. And it's where you're going to give your audience your handouts, 
It's how you're going to give the audience potentially your eBooks or your audio books. It's all through a survey. And you're going to tell the audience, look, you know, what you're going to have been doing already during the program is probably giving out a few of your books or materials to the audience for being involved. And hey, I'm going to give that to you because you're such a great volunteer. So now they're like, hey, how do I get the book? So at, you say, look, we're going to do something special for everybody here. We're going to give all of you a special gift. And that is both of my books. That, that's what I do. I'm going to give you both of my books as an ebook. All you need to do right now is take your phone out. Oh, by the way, Brandon, if this is an event that has anything to do with attendance, like they want to be known they were there, then you say, this is how we're taking attendance for today's program. Mm. Right? So that really ramps up the survey taking. Or right? can I just add, add one on top of this? Or, or maybe you can correct me on this, but like, I feel like this would be a great opportunity if you had lots of slides or if you're presenting from slides that you can offer all the slides, you know, from, from filling out the survey or something like that. Okay. That's awesome. exactly. That's what my handouts are. My handouts are okay, the, cool. the key slides. Let me back up though. I wouldn't hand them all your slides. You, you and people do this all the time. You never want to actually do that typically. Uh, it's just a slide. What you want to do is give them the best three or four. Mm. That's all they're going to end up wanting anyways. What in the world are they going to want to do with a hundred slides? Right. Yeah. And so <laughs> just give them the best three or four. And that way the rest is still yours too. There's, there's value in that protection of your content, and your material. So you say, I'm going to give you the highlights from today. That that's the key. Right, so that's a great insight. So I'm glad you brought that up. So then they go on their phones. You have a simple, simple URL. Do not do something like, you know, mikedomish.com slash heard me speak slash got my handout slash, right? That is <laughs> not what we are doing. I'm with the Center for Respect. So mine's like cfrbook.com, cfrgift.com. These are all real survey links I use depending on the event. They're super easy. And I spell it out as say C for center, F for four, R for respect. So it's my brand too, right? So cfrbook.com, gift.com. They go there. I have on the screen Here's the survey you're going to see. So they're seeing it of the mobile versions on my screen and just going to answer these questions. You got to hit the done submit button at the bottom. When you do that, it's going to automatically take you to my website where you're going to be able to download everything. You're not going to be forced to be on an email list unless you choose to be. I'm all about consent. Uh, and so that's all you do. Then what happens is they all take that survey. I walk off stage. I go back to my hotel room. I export all the survey responses out. We then put them in a PDF file, send them to the client. The client opens up a survey within 24 hours of me being done speaking that says, after today, I'm more likely to behavior one that they wanted, 95%, 93%. Oh my goodness. Uh, after today, I'm more likely to blank, blank, the second behavior they want, 94%. After today, I'm more likely to the third behavior, 98%. Now they're looking at this going, oh my goodness. And this is from a strongly agree to agree to a neutral to disagree to strongly disagree, right? So it's a scale. They can see the full scale. Then below that in the PDF are the open-ended responses. What I'm going to use from today's program is, and it's open-ended. So you get to see what the audience's mind is. Now they're like, I'm going to totally change how I blank, blank, blank. I'm going to totally. And then the second question, what are you going to use from today's session? And they're like, I'm going to blah, 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 blah. This is, your, this is exactly why they brought you because they wanted all of that to occur. And now you can show, wow, it's occurring, right? So this is a game changer. Now, the part you're asking about, we haven't gotten to yet. And that's the last question. The last question is, hey, we'd love to reach more students, more military installations, more companies sooner, quicker. 
uh, do you have somebody that you think this would be a great program for? Could you please include that and ask first name, last name, email, phone number, name of organization? And so now you have your audience with the ability to help introduce you to people you would have never been introduced to before with that simple question at the end. Love that. And that is just such a mind-blowing experience for the host to get that. So just let me just clarify on this. So do you typically tell the host in advance that they're going to get this or like you ask oh, for permission yeah. for this? It's, or how it's, do you, actually, it's actually something that I'm stressing to them. I'm emphasizing to them. When they're looking at booking me, I'm going to give you the results within 24 hours. Not mm. only that, here's what I do, Brandon. I, we do something really unique. We send them the last two years of results. Because if you're looking at 27,000 college students' responses, that's our current number for the last two years. 27,000 students have taken the survey. And the numbers I told you were right on. They're between 93 and 98%. That's the greatest evidence I could ever need to say, hey, here's why we do what we do. And here's why our other universities are bringing me, why other military installations are bringing me. Because of that system can prove the continually, and this is the key to everything we have not discussed today, which is the key to this, consistency and quality of impacting audiences. Mm -hmm. And that is where most people drop off. They have a great speech here, okay, one there, an 80% one there, and then they have a great one once a week. Why aren't you going for great every, every moment you step out there, right? The greatest athletes don't step out for a mediocre game. Every day they're trying to be have the greatest game they've ever had. That's my view when I'm speaking, that I want to have the greatest opportunity to help impact that audience. Mm. I also want to pull this out for everybody. Maybe you, maybe let's say you're listening to this and you never deliver a speaking gig, right? Like why, how is this relevant to you? This is so relevant to you. Let me just say that like all the relationships, all the people that I've been able to bring on the get on the on the show. Lots of times it's because the the guest has a great experience and similar to Mike, you know, I asked them afterwards, I'm like, who would be a good fit to be on the show? So whether or not you are speaking on stage, whether or not you have a podcast, whatever client experience you are putting people through right at the peak of excitement when they just experienced you, that is a fantastic opportunity to add something like this that generates more referrals just because they're really excited about the experience that they just had. So really, really relevant for everybody, no matter where you're on the spectrum. But when, when Mike said this, and obviously it's magnified, if you're talking to a hundred people at a time or 5,000 people at a time, how many referrals you can get from something like that. So super, super powerful. Well, and let me, let me stress that. why it's valuable is most people, Brandon, do the following. They ask the client for referrals. And the client is normally overwhelmed with the event, even a week later, even two weeks later, or they have another event they've already moved on. And so even though they're your biggest fan, maybe, and they could be, they could be a huge fan of your work. They're the one running an event. They typically tend to be that personality. That's different than the audience who is in the moment. And this is key. You brought it up in a moment of a peak high interest in what you have to offer the world. The client already had peak high interest. They brought you in like they had that when they chose you. Right. So you have to understand that. So the phrase that I've used when I've taught people this is you never let them stop loving you. Mm. Right. What's the biggest mistake you could make if you were in an intimate relationship with a partner and you thought the night went amazing? What's the biggest mistake you could make in the next week? Um, I don't know. Just like How about not reaching out to them. Yeah. That'd be the end, right? Most people be like, what happened? What went wrong? I thought last night was amazing or yesterday was amazing. And I haven't heard anything from them. 
You don't let them stop loving you. In a relationship, you'd be mm. texting them. Hey, last night was amazing. Last night was wonderful. When would you like to get together, right? So in a work relationship, hey, yesterday was incredible. Yesterday was an amazing experience. We'd love to impact more audiences like yours. Who would you recommend we reach out to? So mm -hmm. that survey is doing the same thing. Now, here's the key. We follow up with all those survey responses, right? And this is where most people fall through. They go, oh, I got all this list. I'll just blanket email. No, 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 no. We're personally emailing the individuals who gave the recommendation saying, would you be willing to introduce us to the person you talked about in there, right? Because, and we're doing that quickly so that once again, the energy is still there. The momentum is still there. That's really important. That's why the never stop letting them love you is get reach out soon. Don't let them think you didn't care about them. You do care about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. Okay, Mike. Well, we're kind of, we have about 15 minutes here left. So just so, so people kind of see how the sausage is made. Sometimes when I bring on a guest, I ask them some, if they have any questions that might provide some really good or interesting dialogue. And Mike went above and beyond. He sent all these really interesting stories that if I don't even, I know I'm not going to have time to ask all of them, but now I need to ask Mike <laughs> afterwards and like, what did you send me? So I want to ask those in a little bit, but I want to get one more topic in before we get to some of those really interesting questions that Mike sent me. Um, and this is a topic that has come up on the show over and over again, but I always like to hear a master teach it from their perspective. And that is story. So you tell stories from the stage all the time. I would love for you to share some of your insights on how to make a story effective. And maybe if you could share some of the highlights and then share us a story kind of using some of the insights that you just shared. Yeah. Don't tell it, live it. And then bring me into it and make it mine. Just that those phrases I just used right there can change, dramatically shift the paradigm for people, how people storytell. Don't tell it, live it, and then invite me in and make it mine. So I will give you a quick example of this, uh, of doing this. And this is one that I tell in every day from stage, right? So this is one that is true to my heart. It's why I do the work I do, Brandon. And I briefly mentioned it earlier, but I didn't go into it. So I will now quickly tell you why I do the work I do. 1989, I'm a college student. I come back to my dorm room. There's a note on the door. It says, Mike, call home immediately. I'm like, oh man, what happened? Like, you know, what's the thought that goes through all of our minds at that moment? Like who died, right? Was it a grandparent? Was it an aunt? Was it an uncle? And so I call home and my mom asks if I'm sitting down. Now you know something's wrong, right? You know something's wrong and you start preparing yourself. When my mom suddenly says, Mike, um, Sherry's been raped. I can't believe what I'm hearing, right? I'm filled with anger. I am lost. I'm confused. And, and, and one thing suddenly is going through my mind. One thing, I wanted him dead. If you think you feel the same way right now, just yell, yes, I would. Yes, I would. I know because I was there. I felt the anger. I felt the rage. I felt what I was going to do when I get my hands around his neck. I'm going to pause right there, Brandon. Right. Whose story did it become? Mine. It was, it was, how? it was because you were asking me how I felt in that situation or how I would, you kind of put me in that visual of if that were my scenario, how I would be feeling and acting or what I, what I would want to be doing. <laughs> right. 
Right. And so now to be clear to everybody, because I don't want to leave somebody in a triggered state right now. And that's a very emotional story about sexual assault. So I want to be clear to everybody to give a little synopsis. I, that is not where the story ends. I, we were doing a very shortened version of it. So what I do go on is talk about the strength and courage of my sister and how she would inspire me. And I talk about the strength and courage of all survivors of sexual violence because they survived. And then I give the audience exact words to use to help survivors save comes uh, Whoops to help survivors be safe coming forward, right? And so I'm using that exact language in that. But notice what I did. I went into the story. I lived the story as I was sharing it. And then I invited you in and made it yours. Mm -hmm. Now, notice I didn't do it the way most people would have thought. They would have done this. Most people would have done this. All right. So if you were me, what would you have thought? They would have made the mistake of breaking out of the story. Versus bringing you in and letting you take the story to be yours. I didn't have to say that. I simply said, if you'd feel the same way, say, yes, I would. And yes, I will. Or yes, I would. And you did. And at that moment, it's yours. You own it because you have taken ownership. I don't need to say, imagine you did. Because now, now it's like I have my story and I'm in, now it's your story. It's too tactical. Uh, it's too manipulative. The version that I'm doing is real. That's how you talk to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just a few things I want to highlight. I know you, you covered some of these, but just notice how Mike just dropped us right into it. There was not, he didn't really have any setup or anything in there. It's just like all of a sudden we were transported into what I would assume UW Whitewater's dorm room. I can picture it more specifically because I, I live in those dorm rooms. <laughs> uh, so right, like, right. so, but I, but, but, but you can picture, you know, showing up at a door and seeing a post-it note on your wall back before cell phones were a thing. And your, your mom is saying, call me. And you're like, what the heck? You know? So like, that's like, and he did that within what? 15 seconds of the first story. There was that's no, right. 15 no to setup. 30 seconds. Yep. Yeah. This so is like, what so we like, teach you, you. And this is the critical part of stories. They have to be efficient, which means they have to be short. Most people do the opposite. They get into the details. They get into the thick of it. Uh, you don't know what happened to my sister, Brendan, and none of my audiences ever do. There's no need for that. There's no need for that because that's not my story. That's her story, right? So, but even, even so, I don't want to go there. I'm telling my story in this case. And that's super important in my line of work. I'm not taking somebody else's story in there. But the reason I bring that back, Brandon, is I wasn't at UW-Whitewater, but you were, and you knew I once was at UW-Whitewater. Oh, okay. So you, you're proving that how much you took over the story. Yeah. I was at that time at Loyola University of Chicago, would transfer to Whitewater to be closer to home during the trial. Mm. But look at what your mind did. Your mind went, oh, I can picture, I can picture Whitewater, I can picture. So you're proving the point of how the audience takes over. Yeah, it's so powerful. And the, the moment that it's theirs is like the moment that they actually, that they actually really, really deeply resonated on a whole new level is when they can kind of see themselves into that. So I love that. Yeah. And and that that actually was it went went a little bit quick, quicker than I thought it would for that section. So we actually have time for for one more thing before we maybe go into the other questions. But I feel like it would be a I would be doing everyone a disservice if I didn't ask you this question because this is something that I think is very specific to not only a professional speaker but the speaker on your topic. So like I've been kind of curious to to know this. It's like you are talking about a sensitive topic, something that, you know, could trigger some people if it's not handled appropriately, you know, it's not an easy thing to have conversations. You're doing it for 5,000 people at a time. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this, you might not have to have a conversation 
like Mike is having or in front of audiences, but we all have to have difficult conversations, right? And so I would love for you to maybe share some of your insights on how you can warm people up to a topic or a, a point of conversation that might be difficult and actually open the door to that conversation and handle it in a way that everybody is respectful um, and can actually engage in the conversation instead of just being frightened by it. Oh, so glad you asked this question. It's one that never gets asked. So I cool. thank you for asking this question. It's an important one. Most speakers do not think about their audience's emotions. They think about how it's going to how it's going to impact the audience with regards to the goals they have. But they don't stop and think, how could this word impact my audience's emotions, feelings, and triggers? And when you write a speech based on that, you change how you write a speech dramatically. You look at every word and go, ooh, that could do this. What word would not do any of that? And you put a much better word in there. You think of how to be inclusive in a way others do not think of because you realize that's not inclusive. To say him is not inclusive. Mm -hmm. Because now I've painted a picture of that's only men who experience that or think that versus if I say they. Well, what if they're going through that? That little difference allows the whole audience to walk with me on the journey. Mm -hmm. If So if I'm sitting there going, yeah, I mean, what do all guys think? The women are going, well, what am I not part of this conversation? Potentially, even some guys in the room are going, what you think I'm having that? Like they're flipping out of it for the opposite reason versus, hey, what would we think? What would most people? So notice my language, mm -hmm. most people. That is so important. Now, how to have the difficult topic around that, how to approach it. Well, when you're doing a speech, you don't have to start off with it. So start off with something that is more light around a similar topic. So for me, it was around, I'll do to somebody give the look at the beginning of a date to talk about body language and what a disaster it is. But we'll start out with it being fun. Like, let's talk about body language, right? Then we get there. All right, now, where do those things go wrong? And the audience will say, parties, bars. All right, what's happening to bars? But now, now we're getting more serious and more serious. Mm. Here's the key. Once we do go serious, it is quick and out. Back to positive and fun. I do not want to put my audience in an emotional, dramatic spot for an elongated period of time. It's not fair to the audience at all. Mm -hmm. So when I go serious, you might've noticed earlier, I said that I make sure they know that my sister was strong and courageous and every survivor is strong and courageous. I, that is always in there to help take us out of that space. Most people in the past would do this. Rape ruins lives. Well, you just told the audience if they're a survivor, their life's been ruined. Mm -hmm. I'm telling the audience survivors have incredible strength and courage inside them. And suddenly survivors are going, nobody's ever told me that before. Wow. I've never thought of that before. So it's, you have an uplifting place and it's true. And the other statement wasn't true. Rape does not ruin lives. Rape is a horrible crime and survivors can live amazing lives. It's a traumatic crime, but it's not true to say to an audience. So what you have to look at is, am I, if I using statements like all or all every time, you will lack credibility if it can be proven wrong once. Mm. So that also helps you address these more sensitive topics by avoiding statements that can feel very judgmental to the person on the other side. Because all should, could are very judgmental statements. So when I'm in a difficult conversation with an audience, whether it's one or 1,000, my mind needs to be curious to understand them. Mm. Not trying to prove a point. This is key to having difficult conversations. Be curious. Ask the question, ask the audience a question instead of making a statement. 
by asking the question, you get to dive into to this difficult conversation with the audience instead of just telling the audience. There's a mm-hmm. massive difference. Let them be part of the difficult conversation. Yeah, I want to pull out on this too. And this is relevant for now, now. Like if you're listening to this, this is relevant now, now. It's because you, Mike and I are having a dialogue. Our experience of this conversation, even though it's the same conversation, it's Mike and I, it's like my experience is completely different than Mike's. And you listening to this are interpreting our words differently than anybody else that's listening to this. So like at any given point in time, when you're consuming content, like everybody's having a different dialogue. And I love that you highlighted that because unless you have that filter on, because sometimes we only think that we are, we're interpreting, in, interpreting things the way that we're saying it, but that's not the case. Like everybody is coming from their own different filters and perspectives and just having that insight that Mike shared that people are interpreting this differently. And if you look at it from a different lens, or if you choose to look at it from the lens of you know the person that you're talking to, you can oftentimes have a much stronger outcome if you're willing to put that filter on and experiment with what that's like. So that was super, super powerful. Well, thank you. And, and people do it all the time with sexual innuendo. It is mm. everywhere. And you'll see elite leaders do You'll see thought leaders and internet marketers do this in their programs. I've been at live events with people who pay a lot of money to be in the room and watch incredibly inappropriate sexual innuendos or references throughout the program. And you're sitting there going, do they not recognize what they're, and they don't, to be fair, they don't, they don't. That's part of the problem. They don't. But you're going, who has not been willing to tell them this? Like, you know, that this, this is a problem. So it, you'd be amazed how many people just need coaching for this, for yeah. how to avoid those traps, for how to be truly inclusive. Because there's two worlds out there, Brandon. There's the how to be politically correct, which is, here's what's awful about that. They're almost always referring to being respectful. And they're talking about it like it's a shameful thing. Right. So that's so messed up, right? So instead of saying, were they being politically correct? I'll just say, do you mean loving or respectful? <laughs> which, which one? Because <laughs> usually that's what they're referring to there. Uh, so that's not healthy versus going, how do I truly be inclusive so I bring everybody into this conversation? All right, that's heart-centered. That's mission impact-centered versus how do I check the box so I don't get in trouble, which mm-hmm. is where you hear people go politically correct and use words like that. Uh, are you doing this from a place of heart and impact that will help you be more inclusive? Yeah. And this goes way back to like the very beginning of this conversation. It's like what you don't, it's what you don't know that hurts you. You know, this could be one of those invisible things, something in your language pattern, something that you've been articulating a certain way. And maybe you've been telling a story the same way, but like you haven't looked at it from this lens (laughs) and you realize that you actually disconnected 45% of the audience by using something the way that you were saying it. So super relevant for, for us to all think about. So Mike, I know we're coming up on time here. Um, do we, do we have time for me to ask one of these crazy oh, questions? Yeah, we're, good. we're good. Okay. All right. So I'll, I'll toss some of the ones that stuck out to me the most, and then we'll, we'll, we'll conclude things up. Cause I think it's just a fun way to end things. So some of Mike's things, I'll give you a few options and then you just tell me which one you want to go on. So first one I highlighted was how did you become more popular than the sexiest man alive? Start there. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, so, do, do you want to go there? I was going to give you three. I'll go there. You, well, you think you can hit me with another one? Yeah, we'll go there. All right. Okay, one. then let's keep going. Right. Okay, go with that one. So <laughs> I'm on a cruise ship. We're going to do this one fast. This is a story. I'm on a cruise ship. I love to dance, Brandon. I love to dance. I'm on this cruise ship with my kids, nieces, nephews, my sisters, and others. All right. So we're all on this, and they're having the sexiest man alive contest. And they're like, you got to get in. You got to get in just to do something stupid and fun. All right. So we're like, all right, we'll get in. And first you got to dance on the blocks of the pool and then jump in the pool and do like a belly flop. And then they ask about you and they have judges that are there. 
And I, at that time, just our sexist culture, they were all women judges. These are all men, right, that are involved. And the women are sitting in chairs. And, the, and I'm making it through this, the, the steps. I keep qualifying, right? Now, for those who can't see me visually, I am not a muscular, like GQ looking stereotype <laughs> that our country has that would in any way fit this category. Let's just be clear about that, right? So I keep making it through. And then we get to the dance competition. Well, I do love to dance. Now I'm watching all the others dance for the judges. And I decide I'm going to dance with the judges. And so I go up to each judge, put my hand out, see if they'll grab my hand. They stand up and I dance with each judge. Right? <laughs> now the whole place is watching this. The guy left is really young and a bodybuilder. I'm not joking. And there's me, right? We're both in our swimsuits. The place is going crazy the people on the balcony, everything. So now it's down to the two of us because because of the dance contest, it's down to him and I. Other people got knocked out. And the, and the guy who's running it, the entertainment director says, now we're going to do a push-up contest. <laughs> <laughs> now, I in my head think, all right, I'm in better shape than they think I am right now. So let's go. I, I did not think I was going to beat this kid. He was the age of my kid and a bodybuilder. He's probably 23, 24 years old. But I thought I'm going to at least surprise him, right? So I drop on like 40, 37, 40 pushups with him face to face. I he, he wins. But when they yell, it's going to be a push-up contest. When he says this, the place booed the entertainment director. Like the whole place booed because they're like, that's not fair to the old guy. Like here you can just see the reaction. So, so he wins, but all coups. People are walking up going, you're the guy that should have won the sexiest man alive. You're the guy that should have won. And ironically, I was more memorable by losing. And so I was more popular on the trip. My kids and all were joking around that I was more popular than the guy who won because uh, I was just totally being me and having fun out there and having a good time. And, and it goes back to how we speak. I made it about the judges, mm. not about me. Uh, and so we just had a blast. So that was the, the fun story with that one. That was masterful. And thank you for tying that back into speaking too. That's super, super relevant. <laughs> do you want to do a few more of these? Mike? Sure, sure. Okay. I know, I know we're coming up on time here, but okay. Um, another one that stuck out to me was you were catapulted off an airport aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. So the, I'm doing a tour for the U S Navy and I'm in Djibouti, which is the, Horn, I'm, uh, I'm in Djibouti and there's a, an installation there that the helicopters take off from to go and have the supplies to the USS Carl Vinson, which is one of our aircraft carriers, which is doing drops, actual missions in Iraq and that region, like with missiles, everything taking off. So they helicopter me from there onto the ship. So like an hour helicopter ride right over the Persian Gulf, the water's right below you. And it's me and a bunch of literally supplies packed into a helicopter. I'm in the back, like squished in between, uh, and, but you're going over the water. You land on the aircraft carrier, amazing experience. They show me everything. I'm on the deck 10 yards at most from the jets taking off. Like you see in the commercials, I'm closer than those videos are. Right now I have footage <laughs> of this, it's incredible. So, but to take, to take you back to the land, to get me back to Africa, they don't helicopter you. They put you in a plane, and you are facing backwards. You're facing the back of the plane where there's just a closed door. There's no windows or anything. And what this system is built to do is that plane is literally put on a wire and it's pulled back. 
I'm not exaggerating, a huge cable, it's pulled back and it's spring shotted off, off the aircraft carrier. Because this is not a jet, it, you can't use the runway to get enough momentum to actually get off the space. It's not that kind of a plane. So they spring shot these things. And when they do, it spring shots. And for a split second, it goes down when it gets past the, and then it goes up. And they tell you when you're in this, it's going to feel, you know, like you're, you're not going to know what's happening. Suddenly it's just going to be instant impact. And so I'm filming it and I have the footage from this. And you can literally see my face almost 3G back because it is literally being catapulted off the aircraft carrier. And then you, you're flying back to the, to back to, I think it was Africa at that time, uh, back to the installation. That's, that's but incredible. What I didn't to get to get tell you is I got you. to speak to uh, around 4,000 of our Navy on that ship that day. And while I was speaking, I was actually on the underbelly where the planes are worked on and the doors were all open. So I'm speaking to 2,000 people in each speech and I'm watching the ocean go by behind them. An incredible experience. Some of the incredible experiences that you get on the road doing 100 speaking gigs a year, <laughs> going to Djibouti, getting launched out of a uh, aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf and, and giving a speech on, in the middle of a you know aircraft. That, that, that's incredible. So some of the incredible things. So Mike, this has been such a blast. I always like to conclude on, on one question if I have the time um, and then we can wrap things up. So as somebody that has delivered all these this content, teaches people how to change their lives with, um, you know, or I should say saves people by delivering this content to people. And you have so many incredible experiences, met so many people. What does happiness mean to you today, Mike? Like what, what brings you happiness in your journey? Family. Yeah, for me, it's very simple. It's family. It's my, my kids, my grandkids. I'm at that stage of life now, which I love and adore. Uh, it's watching my kids and their relationships. It's my relationship with my wife, Karen. It's my parents. Uh, my sisters, my brother-in-laws, my cousins. It's about family and the family that are friends. So the people that I turn to and Sam and John and who, who I know I can pick up the phone any moment, they're going to answer and I'm going to do the same for them. It's about relationships. That's what it's about for me at this point in my life and being able to dive deeply with them and be there for them and see their journeys and their successes and celebrate with them and, and be there for the tough times. But for me, success is having those relationships, being able to experience those relationships in life. That's beautiful. And uh, you still, we, we still need to coordinate so that I can come out to your lake. I know that, that we got snap food on that earlier this year. So we'll make sure that that happens. Absolutely. Coming what up don't soon. Realize is we're like a half hour from each other right now. <laughs> <laughs> on Zoom. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming today. And I just want to have a quick conversation with you listening right now, which I know is interpreted a bajillion different ways as I, as I learned on today's episode, but if you are brand new and this is the very first episode that you're listening to today, I just want to say, welcome. I'm super grateful to have you here and the fact that you chose you could be listening to any other podcast but you chose to be here hanging out with me and mike today i truly appreciate you and if you're returning thank you as well you're absolutely what makes this possible week after week and whether you're new or returning i always have one favor to ask at the end of a show and if you've been listening to some of mike's stories have been listening to some of the insights that he shared whether it was you know something funny like the the the, the pregnant bunnies or if it was something that he actually shared about how to tell a story in an impactful way that changes lives my life has absolutely been changed by people that have shared impactful podcasts with me. So like you have that ability today, you could share this with somebody and you could find out that they need to bring Mike to an organization and he can completely change the organization. So like that is in your power if you choose to share this episode today. And so if you choose to do that, I deeply appreciate you. But besides that, 
Thank you for hanging out today. Thank you for everything, Mike. And I look forward to continuing the conversation, my friend. Thank you, Brandon. I love it. Hey, anybody listening, this is, if this is your first time, you're in for an awesome experience in the next episode. Go back and listen to the past. Brandon is a rock star doing this and just great content and great people. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.